Psalm 122 is going to be our text this morning. As Pastor Adam explained last week, uh, we're doing a four-part sermon series in the month of November, uh, walking through one of the Psalms of Ascents each Sunday in November. And as Adam mentioned, the Psalms of Ascents is essentially a little hymn book. Uh, It's consisting of 15 songs, namely Psalms uh, 120 through 134. And at some point, these 15 songs were gathered together by the Hebrew people, and they were sung as they made their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for the three different worship festivals that were held each year, Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Booths. And as as they were traveling to Jerusalem, this, this hymn book was used. They sung these songs together. Now, the, the title given to these songs, the Psalms of Ascent, they have a few, meaning, a few meanings, as Adam mentioned and as we learned last week. For starters, the word ascent literally means to step up to a climactic progression. And Jerusalem, because it was a position higher topographically, uh, it was literally a city on a hill. So those that were on this pilgrimage literally had to ascend up to, to get up to Jerusalem on their pilgrimage, hence the Psalms of Ascents. But in addition to that, uh, the, the title Psalms of Ascent was also a metaphor uh, because this, this trip, this uh, ascending up to Jerusalem was symbolically demonstrating a, a life lived upward in grateful obedience toward God. And in that sense, these songs are are meant to tell the story of the pilgrim's journey of faith toward God. And in the same way, today, as Christ followers, right, as pilgrims on the journey of faith, these songs then truly tell the story of our faith journey in Christ and to Christ. So so these are are a, a practical guide for helping us navigate through the journey of faith, the struggle of life. And and man, life can come at us hard, can it? I I mean, we're we're in a season, even as a church, uh, uh, of a bit of a stressful season. And so life comes at us, so it's certainly a a wonderful time to work our way through the Psalms uh, of Ascent. And and as this this series, these Psalms are are, are brief but so extensive in their practical guide for helping us navigate through through faith, through life. So with that, let us uh, look at Psalm 122. And may God richly bless the reading of his holy and inspired word this morning. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Psalm 122, in my estimation, engages the most important topic that we as a church, as, as human beings, could ever consider. 
And and whether you're a Christian or not, uh, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, this topic is the very thing that defines everything and shapes everything in your life. I know that's a a bold statement, uh, but hear me out. This topic that's so essential is the topic of worship. Now, I I say that, that it's the most important topic and it literally defines and shapes everything in our entire lives because at our deepest level, we were created worshipers. And indeed, each and every one of us in this sanctuary is a worshiper. It's not a question of whether you worship or don't. It's a question of who or what you worship. Dr. Paul Tripp, author of Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, says it like this. Human beings, by their very nature, are worshipers. Worship is not something we do. It defines who we are. You cannot divide human beings into those who worship and those who don't. Everybody worships. It's just a matter of what or whom we serve. So this topic of worship is extremely important. And Psalm 122 wonderfully and comprehensively demonstrates the nature of true worship. Now, as we read through that, uh, whenever we read through the Bible, and, and particular times in the Old Testament, there's, there's a lot of language Right, that sounds somewhat unfamiliar to our modern ears. And, and we really have to work through it in order to discern what the text is actually saying and, and then what it means for us today. I mean, Psalm 122 is full of that kind of language. The, the whole song talks about the, the city of Jerusalem, right? The gates, the, the peace for the city, tribes and thrones. And, and it's easy for us 3,000 years removed from when it was first written to read through and to lose sight and not capture all that this psalm has to say about the nature of worship for us today. And as we work through this, what we'll see is that all this Jerusalem language, it actually puts a framework for our understanding of the the true nature of worship. See, Jerusalem for the Israelite was the place of worship. And so any psalm of worship written in the Old Testament could not not be about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the very center of the worship of God. It was where the tabernacle was when King David wrote the psalm. It's where the temple was going to be. Jerusalem was where the priestly duties and the sacrifices were made, where the Holy of Holies was, where the presence of God dwelt. And in Jerusalem, everything that God has said and done was remembered and celebrated. In Jerusalem, you heard the preaching and the reading of his word. You saw in in the rituals and the sacrifices the truth of who God is and his grace and his forgiveness. Jerusalem was everything, the center of what worship is. Now, maybe you know this, but the, the word worship comes from an old English word meaning worth-ship. And so true worship can be defined as seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. True worship is seeing that God is supremely worthy and ultimately valuable above all else. And then because of who he is and what he's done, uh, worship is giving him, ascribing to him ultimate value in the entirety of your being, your mind, your body, your soul, your will, your emotions, your affections, giving him everything. 
And it's to that end that the psalm speaks. And and it has so much to say about the nature of worship, but I want to look at four perspectives that the psalm gives us of what true worship is. Four perspectives of true worship. First thing is that true worship overflows from a joyful heart. True worship overflows from a joyful heart. Secondly, true worship is rooted in a command. Thirdly, true worship results in a genuine care for the work of God. And then fourthly, true worship always produces true community. So it overflows from a joyful heart, it's rooted in a command, and it's genuine care for the work of God and always producing true community. All right, so let's dive in here. Uh, Verses one and two, true worship flows, overflows from a joyful heart. Verse one, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Okay, so, so picture what's going on here. So the Israelites on pilgrimage, right, traveling from all over the ancient world of the Mediterranean, finally making their way to Jerusalem. Now, some traveling great distances. And after the long, arduous journey, representing the journey of faith, metaphorically the, the struggle of life, they now have finally arrived. Right, they, at last, they're walking within the very walls of Jerusalem. And here's the point. They're absolutely ecstatic to be in the house of God. They're absolutely ecstatic to be there, overflowing with joy. One translation of these verses reads, When they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leapt for joy. And now we're here, O Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls. See, the the psalmist is expressing this overwhelming joy, a a genuine heartfelt gladness for being in Jerusalem, for going to the house of God, for being in the place of worship. Last weekend, uh, I had the joy of bringing my three kids to Disney World. And when I say joy... You, you know what I mean. Uh, it was fun, though. We picked them up uh, Thursday after school and surprised them uh, about the trip. We, they got in the car. We, we did the big reveal. They had, like, Disney, Mickey, or what is it, Mickey Mouse sitting on their seats. And we're going to Disney World. And, and they were just ecstatic. I mean, so excited. The exuberance uh, of joy was off the charts, exactly what we were hoping for as mom and dad. All right, and then came the arduous three-hour drive with the three children, ages nine, seven, three. And and I'm not even kidding you. Before we were even on I-95, my three-year-old asked, are we there yet? And it's not even an exaggeration. I mean, literally, before we were on 90, are we there yet? (laughs) No. Um, So you can imagine that, right? So, So we finally get to 95, and now we're like two hours into the drive. We didn't plan it particularly well as far as timing is concerned because then at about the two-hour mark, around 6 o'clock, everyone's blood sugar was low, right? We were just, I mean, everyone's now cranky. And, and, and my three-year-old Roddy still, are we there yet? Are we there? So we're trying to find a place to eat. Anyway, finally, after the three-hour drive, we pull up to the iconic entrance into Disney World. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Mickey and uh, Minnie on either side, Goofy kind of off to the distance, and then the draped over the the overhang where all your dreams come true, right? So we're driving through this, or driving up to it, and, and my kids, they catch a glimpse, 
and just the overwhelming excitement returned, right, as we pulled up to this entrance. The kids just brimming over with joy. All the struggle of the last three hours was irrelevant. Listen, it's that kind of excitement that this psalmist is singing about, right? This, this brimming over with joy is what the pilgrims are expressing as they enter the place of worship. And, and the psalmist wants us to understand that, that this is what should happen to us when we think about and we gather for the worship of our God. Right? True worship overflows from is an expression of a joyful heart. Right? And it only happens when you finally and truly see and begin to understand the worth of who God is. Right? And, and all the, the perils and struggle of life become focused on God, on our only hope on his holiness, his justice, his unchanging, always and forever love and grace and mercy. And that excitement of, of, of when we enter into the place of worship, it only really happens when we understand who God is and what he's done, that he's relentlessly sought after you to bring you to himself when you never would or ever could seek after him. That, that he willingly suffered the most horrific death on the cross, endured the punishment, the wrath of God, the penalty of my sin on my behalf, and himself being blameless became sin for me. Right? And that offer of forgiveness for me and all my sins to remove my shame and guilt and bring life to that which was spiritually dead, to be accepted by him and loved by him, by the awesome wonder of the grace of God that we for a moment might be accepted in his presence. A heart overflowed with joy is the only expression he is truly worthy of our worship. Now let me ask you, do you know that joy? Maybe you're, you're sitting here and thinking to yourself, man, I, I don't respond that way. Right? I, I mean, the truth is, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we look at entering into Disney World and say, listen, I can understand that joy but going to worship God? Yes. Or, or am I alone on that? Right, but think about this. What joy do we truly live in pursuit of? Right, what, what joy rules your heart? Because here's the point. The joy that rules your heart is what you truly worship. Those are the things, right? Those things that rule your heart are the things that you ascribe ultimate worth and value. And see, the truth is we so often find greater joy in the temporary pleasures of the created world than we find with the fact that we have been accepted by Christ and our sins forgiven. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy things like Disney World. All right, I mean, I absolutely love going to Disney World and love may be strong, but I do, I like it so much. 
right? And I love going there with my little ones, making sweet memories. I mean, seeing my middle child, Reese, dance around the room with Princess Belle from Beauty and the Beast at my, at the, at the what is that, the Encounters with Belle? Favorite, love it. Almost brings tears to my eyes. But listen, as sweet as that happiness is, it should pale in comparison to the joy of our redemption. Friends, let's be a people that pursues that joy. Right, so do you live in pursuit of that joy? Right, we, we, I think, again, if we're honest, we don't often express that joy because I think we forget or we don't really value the grace of God. We, we, we begin to think that we actually deserve acceptance with God. But hear this, we will never have any other standing with God apart from that which he freely gave as a gift by his amazing grace through the cross of Christ. Rejoice in that, right? Be excited in that. And as we come gathered corporately as his body, we're, we're, we're reflecting the wonders of that gospel. Man, let's get excited. Let's be excited to be here. True worship overflows from a joyful heart. Second thing we see as a perspective of true worship is that it's rooted in a command. Take a look at verses three through five. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Uh, Again here, we have this language of Jerusalem, the place of worship, celebrating the the security of the city, the tribes of Israel and uh, Judea, the place where the king would be, where the decisive word of judgment would be declared to straighten things out, put things right. But but listen to those words again in verse 4. To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. As was decreed to give thanks, to worship. See, true worship does not only flow out of a joyful heart. True worship is rooted in a command. It's it's not a suggestion, it's a decree. A word telling us what we ought to do, and that word is telling us that we must praise God. We must worship Him. Remember that the, the Israelites here at this time, that, that soon after the Israelites were redeemed out of, the, out of slavery in Egypt, right? They, they sat at the base of Mount Sinai where God gave His law. And, and the foundation of that law was a decree to love and worship God above all else, right? With, with everything you are. And that decree at that moment at Mount Sinai wasn't, wasn't a new thing. Frankly, that law was etched into the fiber of creation. We were created worshipers. So, so in context of this psalm here, the pilgrims' journey, right now having finally made it to Jerusalem, it was important for the psalmist to help the Israelites recognize that they had been redeemed from the Lord, that their lives were no longer their own, that there was this grateful obligation to offer to God the worship, the praise that was due his name. That was his, that was his decree. 
Listen to what one commentator writes uh, on this verse. That law was not something new. That law is rooted in the norms of creation. Human beings were created to worship God and that means that worship is first your identity before it is ever your activity. You are by your very nature a worshiper and if you're not worshiping God, you're giving worship to something else. There are only two categories. Your your life is structured either by a worship of the creator or the worship of the creation. Because our, our very identity is to worship. We are worshiping creatures. And if we're not worshiping God, then somehow and in some way you're worshiping something less than God. You're ascribing ultimate value to something. You're finding your identity, your meaning, your purpose, your pursuits, your passions in something less than God. Something in your life owns the allegiance of your heart. Is that something God? Does he own the allegiance of your heart? Because whatever that something is, That's what you worship. And in so many ways, it truly determines your response to all of our life experiences. See, this this true worship of God is, is meant to be the thing that shapes and directs everything you do in your life. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength is a pursuit to worship, love, and serve God. that you would live in such a way that expresses that my life is not my own, that it was bought with a price. My life belongs to God. My pursuits belong to God. My passions and emotions, my family, my money, my house, my possessions, they belong to God. All of my life, all that I am is a life lived upward toward God. That is worship. That, that, That I don't view anything in my life even as belonging to me. That it, that it belongs to the one who gave me life and breath. That I was given life and breath to live unto his glory and all these other things in the created world as wonderful as they are that, that, that we tend to replace God with are only meant to be fingers pointing to his glory because that's the only thing truly glorious. As the great hymn reminds us, love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. That is true worship. That's what the psalmist wants us to understand. Listen, we must live with that sense of grateful obligation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It was his decree. Moving to to the third perspective that we see, true worship results in a genuine care for the work of God. Check out verse six. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. That, that word peace there means, no more, uh, it means so much more than the absence of, of conflict or war. It means a state of, of wholeness. Uh, where everything works the way it's supposed to be. The word peace here, shalom, it can be defined, things the way they were created to be. And and we're called here by this almost to to pray for that peace. And and it's interesting that that word peace that's used here is not the ordinary word used in formal worship. It's actually the everyday Hebrew word for just ask. So this praying, this asking is not a formal prayer in the sanctuary. 
It's meant to show that it's engaging, asking, caring, being involved outside and between the worship service. Uh, In other words, it's not just showing up on Sunday morning. It's a genuine care for the kingdom work of God. Right? If my heart pursues and is controlled by the worship of God, then I care about the work of God. I care about the people of God, the kingdom of God. So the psalmist and the pilgrims singing would care about Jerusalem and they would care about its peace and its security because that's where God dwells. That's where God does his work. And see, how this translates to us is is has your worship of God placed inside of your heart a, a deep concern for the church of Jesus Christ? Or in other words, do you care for your church? Do you care for its work? Are you concerned for its mission? Do you you pray that that souls are saved, transformed from death to life? Do you you love and pray for your pastors, for your elders, for the deacons, for the staff of Coral Ridge? Do you invest your time, your energy, your money so that God's work would thrive here at Coral Ridge? Listen, listen, the, the power of the living God is among us. And I think we can all uh, agree that he is doing work here. And our hope and our prayer and our expectation is that God will continue to do that work among us as we seek him and to make his name famous throughout this community and deeper into our hearts. That, that we might be a people whose hearts are gripped and shaped by a true worship of God, right, resulting in a genuine care for his work, for his people, for his kingdom. True worship always results in a concern for the work of God. Last, lastly, uh, true worship will always produce true community. Uh, Verses 8 and 9 is where we see that. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. So did did you hear that? For, For my brothers and companions' sake, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your good. Okay, so true worship, true love of God will always produce love for others. As I've heard it said, uh, your problem in loving others, which I think we can all admit we sometimes have a problem with, uh, your, your problem in loving others is, nurse, is not first a problem to love others. The problem is a lack of love of God. See, when we don't have God in his rightful place, then, then people in their rightful place, are, 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 it's not existent, right? If we don't have God in his rightful place, people are not going to be in their rightful place, But see, the problem is we consistently replace our love and worship with God, with other things. And I think the primary thing we do that with is we replace the love and worship of God with the love and worship of ourselves, right? We we have this tendency to to worship me, right? I'm, I'm number one. I'm looking out for my kingdom, for my pursuits, for my interests over and above anyone else. And if you get in my way, just watch out. And I might seek good for you if it actually returns some good to me. But see, the point is, that's, that's not true community. 
See, only when our heart is ruled by worship of Him, filled with joy and duty and care for His church, that I will ever actually care about you. So I think it's appropriate to ask ourselves, do you love God's people and seek their good? Right? Do you look for ways to be an encouragement to one another, to be a help for one another, to, to bear burdens for one another, to be a friend? Right? Is your life open and giving and serving and loving and kind and gentle and patient? You see, perhaps the lack of those things in our lives reveals the true condition of the worship of our hearts. See, true worship overflows from a joyful heart. True worship is rooted in a command. True worship results in a concern for the work of God and the kingdom of God. And true worship always produces a loving, serving, self-sacrificial community. Does that describe our church? Does that describe your life this morning? Does that describe your heart? I pray that as we reflect from this sermon, from Psalm 122, that we, we can rightly ask those questions. But as we examine our hearts, and as we continue on in this pilgrimage, in this journey of faith, right, living a life upward, pursuing true worship of God, that we do not miss the entire thrust of what this psalm is pointing us towards, right? Because it gives us these perspectives of worship. But the, the main thing, the entire thrust Far more than anything, this psalm describes the nature of true worship and it points us to the person and work of Jesus. Because listen, the, the fact that there's no longer a need for the physical trip to Jerusalem, because there's, there's no longer need for a tabernacle where sacrifices are made, because God the Father sent His Son, the perfect and spotless Lamb, as the ultimate and final sacrifice. And through His perfect life, death, and resurrection, paying the penalty for our sins, defeating sin and death for all who trust and believe and call upon Him for your salvation, have you placed your trust in that Lamb? Let our pursuit of true worship be couched in, be rooted in the wonderful reality of our salvation in Jesus. So have you placed your trust in that lamb? Have you pursued his forgiveness? Have you rested in his grace? I pray that if you're here this morning and you haven't come to a place in your life where you've placed your trust in Jesus for the salvation of your soul, the forgiveness of your sins, that today would be the day of your salvation.